Bow with me in prayer. Father, we do acknowledge we desperately need you, that apart from you, we can do. Absolutely nothing. And so, Lord, we fall on your grace and mercy this day. And we thank you as we come to this wonderful time of celebration, as we remember what you did for us through your death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, as we celebrate it this very day, I pray you would grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Lord, open our eyes to see the majesty of our Lord, the sovereignty of our Lord, but the love of our Lord that would motivate him to lay down his life on the cross, to pay for the penalty of our sin and rise again to offer us new life, eternal life. Lord, open our eyes to see what is the hope of your calling on our lives in this church, that we would embrace that calling and by your empowerment to finish the work you've given us here on earth to do. Open our eyes to see all the riches of your grace, the provision that you've made for us to do your work and teach us to appropriate that provision this very day. And then, Lord, open our eyes to see the power that's been made available to us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, so move in us and work in us that we would not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, but you would teach us to walk by the Spirit to fill us with your Spirit, that the fruits of the Spirit would be produced in us and then out through us, that we would truly be an oasis of Jesus to a lost world. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, once every quarter, uh, we, uh, for those of you that are guests, we celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, the first Sunday of every month, and then once a quarter, uh, we uh, allow the children to remain in the service uh, to participate. Uh, they normally go to children's worship, and boys and girls, you will have your children's worship today. It would just be after we conclude uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, but uh, we're so thankful to have the children with us. Uh, many of our boys and girls have uh, come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So this is a wonderful opportunity to them to uh, uh, partake of, the, uh, of this celebration. There are other children that have not yet come to know Him. But what a beautiful sermon uh, in picture. And that's the reason we think it's so important for them uh, to be present. And, and boys and girls, if I could have your attention, I want to talk to y'all this morning. Uh, now, we'll let your parents and the ad other adults listen in. Is that okay? Uh, but I'd, I'd like to talk to you. And, and I just want to raise the question, why do we do this? Why do we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper? And boys and girls, let me just remind you of uh, what the Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed 
And uh, boys and girls, uh, I think all of you are aware of the fact that it was Judas, one of his disciples, that betrayed him. And uh, you remember he was arrested. And of course, he was uh, terribly abused and uh, beaten, as we're going to see in a moment, uh, but eventually crucified on a cross uh, for our sins, but of course, rose again from the dead. And it says, on that night, he had a special meal with his disciples, boys and girls, and at the end of the meal, we're told that he uh, took bread and he began to basically just break it up. And he began to pass the bread uh, to his uh, disciples. And this is what he said. He says, he took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given. Now listen, boys and girls, I want you to hear these two words. He said, this is my body which is given for you. In other words, what Jesus was telling us is that everything he did, he did for you. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate what Jesus did for you. Now, what did Jesus do for you? And let me just remind you, boys and girls, and as I remind you, the adults as well. Jesus was scourged for you. Now, I know that's a word that you boys and girls may not be familiar with, but it basically means that he was terribly whipped, beaten. Uh, They uh, stripped him of all of his clothes and... They tied him to a post. And then a Roman soldier who was a professional executioner. He was an expert in torturing people. And he knew how to bring an individual right to the point of death without actually killing them. And that was the task he was given in terms of beating Jesus. And he took a whip and it had a wooden handle. And then the whip had a lot, a lot of little leather pieces coming out of it, strips of leather. And on the tips of that leather, leather, they would sew uh, pieces of bone and metal so that when they beat Jesus, it would, it would tear into his, his skin. It would make awful cuts. He, he bled terribly. It would terribly bruise his flesh. And that scourging, that whipping, lasted about four minutes. Uh, Jesus would have lost tremendous amount of blood. It would put him in a state physically of just shock, uh, just short of death. Now, Brother Andy, you told me a moment ago, Jesus did that for me. Well, why did he do that for me? We're told in Isaiah 53, but it was my sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, my sin. See, boys and girls, the Bible tells us we're all sinners, and I believe you know that. You know what sin is. Sin is when we do those things that we should not do, when we disobey God's word, when we act inconsistent 
with His character. It's when we don't do those things that we should have done. Bottom line, it's when we're ever not like Jesus. That's the standard to be like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to care like Jesus, to be good, to be clean, to be righteous like Jesus. And whenever we fall short of that, we sin. And because we have sinned, the Bible says there's a penalty for sin. There's a payment for sin. There's a wage of sin. And that payment, that penalty, is that we've been what? Separated from God. And so the reason Jesus came was to be able to die for your sin, boys and girls. To take your punishment for you. And that's why he was scourged. The Apostle Peter says, by his wounds we are what? We are healed through what he did for us. But boys and girls, he was not only scourged for you, he was humiliated for you. He was disgraced. He knew shame. He knew embarrassment uh, for you. After uh, uh, the scourging, uh, the Roman soldiers took him, boys and girls, and they began to make fun of him. Have you ever had anyone make fun of you? You know how bad that makes you feel? Anybody that maybe has bullied you? Well, that's what they did to Jesus. Uh, they took a, a crown that was made of thorns, and they put it on his head where those thorns stuck into his head, and he began to bleed. You can imagine the pain. Have you ever, boys and girls, have you ever been stuck by maybe a thorn bush? And can you imagine having these huge, and these were huge thorns, stuck into your head with this thorn? And then the Bible says they began to spit in his face? Oh, those rough soldiers, it says, took their fist and they began to beat him on his face, laughing at him, making fun of him. Matter of fact, it says in Isaiah 52, boys and girls, as a result of that, it says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. In other words, they beat him so bad, boys and girls, you couldn't even recognize who he was any longer. He was so bloodied, so beaten, so bruised. It's interesting, one of the uh, paraphrases uh, says that we in Isaiah, that we look down on him as if he were, was scum. And that's how they treated God himself, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. They treated him as scum. And, and boys and girls, he did that for you. And you say, Brother Andy, he did that for me? Why? Because you've all sinned before. And when you get caught, aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you ashamed? See, that's part of the consequences of sin. So Jesus, although he was perfect, did no sin, he was suffering the consequences for you. He was suffering that humility, that disgrace, that embarrassment that a sinner feels as a result of the consequences of their sin that weigh heavy on them. But boys and girls, he was not only humiliated for you, Jesus was what? Nailed on a cross for you. 
nailed on a cross for you. You know how he took that very long walk to Calvary. And remember, boys and girls, he had to carry his own cross. But remember, we just talked about the fact that he had been whipped. He had been beaten. And he couldn't make it. The Bible tells us he fell under the weight of the cross. And they had to ask, you remember, a man to come help Jesus carry his cross the rest of the way. But then when they came to the place where he was crucified, they laid him down on the cross. And boys and girls, they took these long nails, spikes, and they drove them into his hands and into his feet and literally nailed him to the cross. And he did that for you. Why? Again, Isaiah tells us Jesus was pierced for my sins. He was crushed for my iniquities. He took the punishment I deserved. See, boys and girls, you're the one that should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. All of us should have been on that cross. But Jesus took our place. He took the punishment for us so that we would not have to be punished by God. But he not only, of course, was nailed on the cross, he actually died on that cross for you, boys and girls. We know that he hung on that cross for, listen, boys and girls, for six long hours. Can you imagine being nailed on a cross for six long hours? We can't even begin to imagine the physical pain. But, boys and girls, listen to me very, very carefully. Greater than the Greater than the physical pain was his broken heart. Because, boys and girls, when he was on that cross, the Bible says that all your sin was past, present, and future, was laid on him. The Bible says Jesus, the one who knew no sin, he became sin for us. And so, During that time on the cross, he became the target of his father's anger and wrath and fury. Think about that. Jesus had no beginning, no end. Eternal God had known nothing but perfect fellowship with his father, perfect love. But on those moments on the cross... He became an enemy. As God poured out punishment on his son for your sin, for my sin. And that's why Jesus cried on that cross, my God, my God, why me, why me, why me have you forsaken? And you say, Brother Andy, why did he do that for me? Because, see, we talked about sin, what separates you from God. So Jesus bore the penalty of your sin. He knew. He experienced that separation. So never again would you have to know it. Well, you would know his presence. You would know his love. You would know his mercy. You would know his grace. Just several verses, boys and girls. It says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? A sacrifice 
to take away our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, boys and girls, while we were sinners. In Isaiah 53, but he endured the suffering that should have been what? Mine, should have been yours, boys and girls. Why? Again, because he loved us and he wanted to save us from our sins. But then one last thing. Yes, he was whipped for you. He was humiliated for you pierced on a cross for you, boys and girls. He died for you. But boys and girls, He rose again from the dead for you. Jesus Christ is alive, boys and girls. He's alive. He's here today. We may not can see Him, but He's here. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Savior. And boys and girls... He extends to you His life. The Bible says, boys and girls, He that has the Son has life. But the one who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus desires you to ask Him into your life. To let your heart become His home. As you would trust what we just talked about. All that He did for you that you could never do for yourself. And as he comes in, he'll forgive. And as he comes in, you need to surrender your life to him as Lord. Two more verses. Romans 14, 9, boys and girls, says, Christ died and rose again, listen now, for this purpose. Why? So that he can be my Lord, both while I live and when I die. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, his purpose... In dying for me is that my life should no longer be lived for myself, but for him who died and rose again for me. So, boys and girls, we celebrate this because of what Jesus did for you. And because of what he did for you, we are now to what? Live for him. To love him. To honor Him by putting our trust in Him. So let me go ahead and ask our uh, ministerial staff, elders, uh, deacons, if they'll take their uh, places, get ready to uh, share the Lord's Supper, and uh, bow with me in prayer. Father, it's a joy to have our boys and girls in this service, and Lord, I learned many, many years ago, shortly after my conversion, having the opportunity to work in various children's ministries, it's amazing the discernment, the understanding that you give to the heart of a child concerning Jesus, who He is, and what He did for us. And Lord, I, I thank you for our boys and girls, and I pray that you will take the truth that was shared and that you would capture their hearts with it that you would open their little precious eyes to see truly who Jesus is and what he did for them. And Lord, I pray that you'll bring each and every one of them in this, I pray not a single one in this sanctuary would be able to escape your love. That you would set your heart on them and you would bring them, each and every one, to salvation to honor and glorify you. Now, Lord, thank you for the just incredible honor, privilege to 
to love you now, to rejoice in you now because of what you did for each one of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to be scourged for me, humiliated for me, nailed on a cross for me, to die for me, and you rose again for me. And so, Lord, gladly, in light of the salvation you've given me and these here that know you, we now, afresh, present our lives to you as living sacrifices. Acknowledging the only reason you can accept our lives as sacrifices, the only reason you can find them holy is because your blood that spilled on that cross sanctified the cross and transformed it into an altar of justification, sanctification, and glorification for all who embrace it through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we have embraced that cross and we come to celebrate your love now. And as we do, we pray you would further transform us through the renewal of our mind, through the power of your Spirit, that we would in all things prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. Acknowledging that your purpose in dying for me is that my life should no longer be lived for myself, but for you, the one who died and rose again for me. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We'll now celebrate the Lord's Supper. I think uh, most of you know how we do this. If you're a guest, you can just sort of follow our church members. But each section of pews has men that will serve you. You come out uh, your right side. You'll come back the other side. Uh, they'll give you both the uh, bread and the juice here. And you can just partake of it right here and then go back uh, to your seat. If you are physically unable to come down, we have men uh, that uh, will bring the elements to you. And if you would just simply be kind enough to raise your hand so that they can see you, they'll bring those to you. So let's celebrate now. Uh, let's rejoice. You children that do know Jesus, uh, you're welcome to participate. And, uh, and so let's celebrate. Let's worship Him now. Let me pray, and uh, after I pray, uh, men, if you would come uh, receive the offering, and then uh, we're going to be ministered to in, uh, from the piano by uh, one of our newest members, Angelina Catella, and uh, her, she's married to Levi, a young uh, military uh, couple going through the captain's career course. Uh, won't be here long, but it's always a joy to get our military folks plugged in, and so it'd be a joy for her to minister to us. So uh, bow with me in prayer. And after Angelina is special, I'll dismiss our boys and girls. Father, we're speechless uh, before your, your love, your grace, the mercies that you've demonstrated us. We acknowledge if it were not for your mercies, we would be consumed in your wrath. 
But thank you that Jesus satisfied your justice as he paid for the penalty of our sin. And thank you, Lord Jesus, you not only paid for the penalty of our sin, but then you dumped right into our account all your righteousness to give us a right standing before God. And we realize it's only because of the blood and righteousness of Christ that we can come now boldly, confidently, with assurance. And Lord, our one prayer would be simply, glorify thy name in and through our lives. Amen. Thank you, Angelina, and we love both Levi and her and all of our military families. Uh, I ask our church family to be uh, praying for our uh, military folks. We've had a, a number of deployments uh, just recently, 
And so uh, we need to be covering these folks in prayer to know God's uh, protection and uh, each and every one come back to us uh, safely. Uh, I hope uh, many of you had the opportunity to see the Billy Graham funeral. And if you did, you saw uh, Edward uh, be able to escort uh, the president, the VP, and their wives uh, to the funeral. And that was a, a great sight to see Edward. And uh, actually showed Christy at one point as well, one of the children, uh, during the uh, the service. And, uh, and uh, if you did not see that service, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, you can go to the internet, stream that. It, it was a very powerful service. And uh, I trust God used it in the lives of uh, thousands of people. Now, uh, don't get nervous when you look at your uh, 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 watch. Uh, I knew I would have very, very little time. So basically, I'm, I'm just using, the, oh, boys and girls, I am so sorry. I'm <laughs> Just, if it ever happens again, boys and girls, just throw something at me, okay? Just throw something. Wasn't it great to have the children in with us for the Lord's Supper? That was good. That was good. But uh, my desire is simply to uh, introduce uh, the next message. For the sake of our guest, uh, we are in a sermon series right now uh, entitled, Excelling in Our Love for One Another. And all we're simply doing is a walking through the one another passages that are found in the New Testament that teach us how to love one another. But I'm not just extracting the verses. We're looking at each of those verses in the context, in the larger context in which they are uh, found. Uh, I hope you did pick up a copy of the sermon notes uh, because we do come to Lesson 6 uh, maintaining unity in the body of Christ. Our focus will be Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. You don't need to turn there uh, right now. Matter of fact, a little bit later it'll be up, up on the big screen. But look at the introduction in your sermon notes. I'm going to stick closely to the notes because I only have uh, about 15 minutes. Uh, but in previous lessons, we learned since God united all believers in the body of Christ with each believer having an important function, and all believers dependent on one another, we are to deeply care for one another. We are one body, just like this body. Human is one body, and therefore I'm going to take care of what? All the members, because I know if any member gets injured, it could possibly take me out. And so... Uh, we want to show great care to one another uh, because we are vitally connected. We are dependent uh, upon one another. So we now consider that last sentence there under the introduction. We now consider how to maintain unity. We've been looking at how to care for one another in the body of Christ. Now how to maintain unity in the body of Christ as we come to the next one another verse that's found in Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3. Now very quickly look at the definition of unity. It's important to see that Christian unity is not a union to be produced. It's nothing that you and I can create, uh, but is a unity that already exists, created when Christ broke down all divisions and hostilities and reconciled all believers into one body through His death on the cross. When Jesus died on Calvary, He not only 
brought down the barrier between us and God to reconcile us to God, but He brought down all the barriers between men and women to reconcile us to one another, to know love, to know unity. Let me read for you that passage, Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 16, that speaks of Christ creating the unity we have in the body of Christ. It says, you lived in this world, listen now, you lived in this world without God and without hope. That sums up your life before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, of course, as a result of conversion, of faith in Christ, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once, again, prior to coming to know Christ, you were far away from God. But now, through salvation, you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. Who? Christ brought peace to us. How? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in His own body on the cross, He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And let me just pause right there before I read the rest of this passage. I don't know if you could look back in history that you would ever find two people that had a greater animosity towards one another than Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles viewed the Jews with disdain as a slave people to be exploited, to be abused. The Jews, and I'm not embellishing, they literally believed that the Gentiles were created by God. You know why? To provide the fuel for the fires of hell. That's how they looked on the Gentiles. Uh, all social contact between the two groups was prohibited. Uh, if a Gentile woman was in childbirth, it was against the law for a Jewish person to help that woman in childbirth because they would bring, be bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jew married a Gentile, they would have that Jew's what? Funeral. They would consider them as good as dead. And when that passage says he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us, he's actually talking about a literal stone wall in the temple that served as a barricade to separate Jews and Gentiles. And they actually posted on this wall warning notices that were both in Greek and Latin, and this is how it read. It says, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surround the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. But Jesus tore that wall down. Now, of course, the literal wall may have kept standing after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ until that temple was destroyed some years later. But he tore that wall down in the hearts of his people that come to know him. And then it says what? He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating, notice, who did it? Jesus did it by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, 
Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. And beloved, it was this testimony of love and unity between two groups who people thought it would be impossible for them ever to come together. It was that testimony as the gospel began to penetrate Jewish hearts and Gentile hearts. People began to be converted. And they came together in love and in unity. It was that testimony that provided credibility for the advance of the gospel. And it's that, and that is why in one generation the known world was turned upside down. Because they saw the power, the authenticity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The miracle that he could do in reconciling these two groups. So that was all created by the death of Christ. Nothing we create, he gave it to us as a gift. But if you go back to the definition of unity in the next sentence. Sadly, I hate to have to say this, but you know this is true. Sadly, the unity created by Christ can be damaged by the attitudes and actions of believers toward one another. Therefore, Christian unity is both a reality to be maintained and a goal to be attained. Uh, The Ephesians 4 passage, that verse 3, says we're to be diligent to preserve. Notice, not create. We can't can't create it. We can't produce it. But to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, the admonition here is, Christ has given you a wonderful gift of unity and harmony and love in the body of Christ. Now, you be diligent. You be careful to preserve that unity. Don't let anything become between you and another brother or sister. And if it does, you take every effort with all diligence to sure everything's right. And that you can go forward in unity and harmony for the advance of the cause of Jesus Christ. And of course, it's a goal to be attained. Let me read these verses from Ephesians 4 for you. Uh, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, bottom line, in a very simplistic way, How do we find unity in the body of Christ? Every one of us keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus being our treasure, our prize, our first love, greatest passion, greatest pursuit. Our one desire to become more like Him. And as we all focus on Jesus, our Lord, our Master, our Head, as our passion is to become more and more like Him in character and conduct, we will discover that beautiful harmony and unity that He has already created for us. Amen? Look at the illustration of unity. And and look to the big screens. Go ahead and put Psalm 133 up. This is probably the most beautiful illustration of unity in the entire Bible. let, let, Let me read this for you. Behold... How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in what? 
unity. Notice, this is God's perspective. Now he says, it's good. Oh man, it's pleasant. It's, it's wonderful when brothers dwell together in unity. Of course, keep in, all ways, keep in mind the, the opposite is pretty bad, isn't it? And pretty unpleasant when we're not dwelling in unity. And notice, it, what's the it referring to? Unity. It, the unity is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Now, let me just pause right there. That's referring to the holy anointing oil. Uh, you can read about that in uh, Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 33. And it was in, uh, we say uh, oil, it was more like a perfume. Uh, matter of fact, the uh, recipe is given right there in Exodus uh, in the book of Exodus, all these wonderful spices, and it talked about the our perfumer was the one that did this, and it gave off just an incredible, wonderful uh, fragrance, and, and it was called the holy anointing oil, and they would use this holy anointing oil or perfume to anoint Aaron and all the priests after him. This is, this, they would have a consecration service. In other words, if you were going to uh, become a priest uh, you would have a service where they would anoint you with this holy anointing oil. Matter of fact, it could not be put on anybody else's body except the priest, except the priests themselves as they were consecrated. Now, of course, you and I know that oil represents what or who? The Holy Spirit. And so he's saying here, man, when my brothers and sisters dwell together in you, it's good and pleasant. And man, that Holy Spirit just anoints that. And, and the idea, it gives off a sweet-smelling fragrance. I mean, this lost world, they, I mean, it catches their attention because of the difference that, that exists there. But then notice he goes on, and he says, verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there... Where's the there? Where brothers and sisters are dwelling in unity, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Now, Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, in the Middle East. And because of its height, it, the, the uh, top of that mountain stays uh, covered with snow. And it's just very unique uh, atmospheric conditions that exist uh, that just make this, the mountain slopes just an oasis of life. And the amazing thing is, Mount Hermon is right in the middle of a huge wilderness. So you got this oasis stuck in the middle of this wilderness. But it's an oasis that's created by the dews of Hermon. Because of these unique conditions that exist every day, there's plentiful dews that just form on that mountain. And God says that's what unity is like. Now go back to the illustration. Let me just sum it up. In Psalm 133, we'll just read through this. Unity is likened to the dew of Mount Hermon, which transformed Mount Hermon into an oasis in the middle of a wilderness. The point being, wherever God's people dwell together in unity, God's presence will cover their community, transforming it into an oasis where people experience the life-giving power of Christ. But since dew only forms... When atmospheric conditions are just right, and that's known as what? The dew point, we must ask, well, what are the atmospheric conditions that must exist before the dew drops of unity form 
on a church and just drench us in the Holy Spirit with the fragrance of that Holy Spirit? And the answer is found in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. This leads us to the verses that we'll be looking at next Sunday because here in these verses we discover the seven attitudes of love, the seven attitudes of unity. And as we're all committed to letting these attitudes rule in our hearts and lives towards one another, that's when that unity comes. And that's when the anointing of God falls. And that's where we get just drenched in the presence of God to become an oasis of Jesus to a lost world. Now look at Ephesians 4 for me. Put that up there. Here it is. This is what we'll look at next week. Therefore, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, he's in prison at this time, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And here they are. With all humility. There's number one. Humility. And gentleness. There's number two. With patience. Number three. Showing tolerance for one another. There's the one another passage right there. Showing tolerance for one another. That's what brought us to this passage. So tolerance is the next one. And then what's Five, for one another in love. Love is five. Being diligent, I'm just using diligence as number six because that's a key component of this entire verse. And then the seventh is peace, that last uh, word. And the next Sunday, we'll just walk through these seven attitudes. And I trust it'll be very practical, be very, very meaningful to you. But as we close today, look there at that last point in your notes, just a key observation. And sort of tying it in to, to last week. In our last lesson, we learned what I believe was a staggering truth. And that is that bearing one another's burdens, as we saw in Galatians 6, is synonymous with fulfilling the law of Christ. Remember how we talked about this should be the primary vocation of every believer. You can't fulfill the law of Christ. You can't walk in love unless you're committed to coming alongside your brothers and sisters and help them bear burdens that otherwise would crush them, would overwhelm them. We talked much about that last week. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go to the website and listen to that. But in today's lesson, we learn walking worthy of our calling in Christ is synonymous with what? Maintaining unity in the body of Christ. Sadly, we walk unworthy of our calling in Christ if we do not make every effort to safeguard the unity Christ died to obtain. And again, I think another powerful, staggering truth that if, if Andy Merritt is going to walk worthy of the calling my Lord and Master has given me, then I must with diligence safeguard the unity he created in the body of Christ. I must be diligent to preserve that unity to ensure that there is nothing between me and you. Nothing between me and any other person in the body of Christ as far as it is possible with you, as Romans 12 says. So I trust you'll return uh, next week as we uh, look at these uh, seven attitudes, the sort of the dew point of unity in the body of, of Christ, and I trust it will be meaningful for you. Now, those of you that are part of the Edgewood family, uh, you're very familiar with what we're uh, about to do. Uh, the order of things has been a little different today since we had the children in the service, but 
we think here, we believe very strongly, and, and from the Scriptures, that an extremely important component of the Lord's Supper that's often missed is providing the opportunity to care for one another, to encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another. So when we come out of the Lord's Supper service, we always provide opportunity for you to move around and to do that very thing. It may be a person in the body that you want to express appreciation to. Just thank you. Maybe your Sunday school teacher. Or maybe a, a person that's been an example for you and they don't even realize how you've impacted, you know, they've impacted your life. It, it may be someone you know that's struggling and you just want to say, I just want you to know I love you. I know what you're going through and I'm praying for you. I'm going to continue to pray. And why don't we just say a brief prayer uh, right now. But this is a time just to minister to one another. This will also serve as the invitation. I'll remain right here as you move about. And if anyone has a public profession of faith, desires to unite with the church, I'll be here to welcome you or any other prayer need. We have our elders and we have our deacons here. And if anyone needs special prayer for a physical adversity, a, a relational challenge, financial, whatever it might be, if you would just come to these men, they will be glad to surround you in small groups and pray for you. They are available to you. And so men sort of remain here and provide that opportunity. Uh, but uh, I ask you not to uh, leave the service before we conclude. We will conclude right in about five minutes. Uh, and because once we conclude the service, you can continue to minister to one another, encourage one another. But at least this at least gets us started in, in that direction. So right now, I do, exa- I do that. I give you the freedom to move about, to encourage, to minister. You may just want to remain right there and just continue to worship. Continue to reflect on who Jesus is, what he did for you, and I'll remain at the front. And we'll close in about five minutes.